Hey, welcome to the 161st episode of More Than Bread. On February 15th of 2021, I launched this podcast with 42 episodes going through the whole New Testament. Following that, we did a, a deeper dive through the Gospel of John and then the Gospel of Mark. So if you've only recently joined us in the Psalms, let me encourage you to go back and do the quicker walk through the whole New Testament or the deeper dive into one of the Gospels. They, they aren't really dated and they follow the same format that we've had in the Psalms. Though, if I remember right, when we did the quick walk through the whole New Testament, the the scripture chunks were big enough that I didn't read the whole passage twice. So now we've made it through the Psalms. And this episode and one, maybe two more, will be a wrap-up of the Psalms because there's just so much there. And I just I want to do a little bit of reviewing. Over the course of the last 12 weeks, almost three months, my top 40 Psalms turned into top 47 Psalms. You gave a few extra, I gave a few extra. I almost feel bad that I didn't get three more in so that we could have a top 50 out of 150, but I didn't. I covered two psalms in one episode. That was Psalm 146 through 147. I did one psalm out of sequence requested by one of you. That was Psalm 91. And and we've covered multiple psalms with more than one episode. Psalm 150 had two. Psalm 139 had three. Psalm 119 had two, but it could have had five. Psalm 51 had three. Psalm 37 had two. Psalm 23 had two. So anyway, let's do a little bit of summarizing, some remembering, some looking at what we just covered. Remember, Psalms is the longest book of the Bible with 150 chapters, or in this case, individual Psalms. David is listed as the author of 73 Psalms, and there's another five or so that are thought to be his work as well. Psalms is one of only two Old Testament books that is a group effort, right? Multiple authors. The other one is Proverbs. Some psalms name their author in the first line or the title. For example, Moses wrote Psalm 90. Asaph wrote 12 psalms. The descendants of Korah penned 10 psalms. Solomon wrote one or two. And 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 a couple of guys named Ethan and Heman, the Ezraites, were responsible for two others. By the way, the Ezra, Ezraites likely lived just after the Babylonian captivity, which means that the writing of this book of psalms spans about a thousand years. I, I honestly, I never thought about that. The, these psalms, uh, the 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 earliest one to the last one, spans about a thousand years. I mean, how many books do you know of that have that kind of span, or for that matter, that kind of reach? No book of the Old Testament is quoted as often in the New Testament as the Book of Psalms. The three psalms most frequently quoted in the New Testament are Psalm sixty nine, which is quoted in reference to the life of Christ. Psalm twenty two which is quoted in reference to the death of Christ, and Psalm 110 quoted in reference to Christ, the risen and reigning King. The Psalms are, I would say, kind of loosely organized into five books or collections, probably collected gradually. Most likely by the time of Ezra, the books of the Psalter were organized into their final form, and each section concludes with a doxology, with the entire Psalter, the Psalms, capped by Psalm 150, which is this grand doxology. Book 1 goes from Psalm 1 through 41, though some consider Psalm 1 and 2 kind of an intro. Book 2 goes from Psalm 42 to 72. Book 3 is Psalm 73 to 89. Book 4 is Psalm 90 to 106. And book 5 is 107 to 150. And, and then remember that within some of the books, there are subsets, like the Psalms of Ascent, 
psalms that were sung on a journey to their sacred space, the temple. There was, they were songs of, of pilgrimage, and they're some of my favorite psalms. Well, one commentator suggested themes for each book. Book one, this person said, is all about God beside us. Book two is all about how God has gone before us. Book three is God all around us. Book four is God above us, and book five is God among us. I, I'll be honest, I, I think that feels a bit forced, because I find those themes and others woven throughout all 150 psalms. But I do want to wrap up with a few thoughts and just a few themes. We'll likely hit a few different themes as we wrap up, but here's my first one. The book of Psalms starts with the challenge to be different. Be different. Remember Psalm 1? I think beginnings and endings are really important when it comes to books. Remember Psalm 1? Psalm 1 was, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked. And then the psalmist goes on and details the life of the wicked with a call throughout the psalms to be different, be different. And that challenge, that call is woven throughout the psalms. It's woven throughout the Bible, but but I've seen it especially these last few months in the psalms. Be different. Don't be like the ungodly. Meditate on God's word. Be different. Don't oppress the marginalized in your community. Be different. Be different in who you love and how you love. Be different in your levels of worry and anxiety and trust and faith in God. Be different in your worship. Let your prayer life be different. Let your generosity be different. Let your community be different. Let let your love for each other be different. Be different in your identity as children of God, gloriously created by the creator of the world. Just be different. John Stott is one of my heroes of the faith. Deeply committed to Christ and the Word of God, when he died, he he left a legacy of truth and grace. Near the end of his life, he was asked the question, the world has changed so much in the last 25 years, but are there some general principles that help us to become whole life followers of Christ, no matter what culture we find ourselves in? I love Stott's reply. He replied, I would say now that I've been very struck in my own study of Scripture to see that right through, all the way through Scripture, there's one theme that we have tended to neglect, and that is the call to be different from the world around us. It's interesting to me, he said that in the four great sections of the Bible, the same call comes out. In the law, in the prophets, the gospels, in the epistles, the same, the same call, be different. Do not be like them. Do not be conformed. Take the narrow way. Go against the flow. And I've been seeing that same challenge, that great challenge woven throughout the Psalms. And and it kind of leads me to a question, can we really make a difference in the world if we aren't much different from the world? And, And in so many ways, all the research says we aren't all that different. Marriage, consumerism, and we have been discipled by consumerism discipled by social media and ethics. We're, we're not all that different. I've, I've quoted this far too many times. You, some of you know exactly what I'm going to say. In a Barna study released a, a number of years ago, they found that the, most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians was statistically equivalent of those who were not. 
Christians were just as likely to gamble or visit a pornographic website. We're just as likely to take something that didn't belong to us, just as likely to consult a psychic, just as likely to get drunk. We're just as likely to get in a fight, abuse someone, or take drugs, just as likely to have lied or said something mean behind someone else's back. You know where we were statistically different? We flip people off less often, and we were less likely to have bought a lottery ticket in the last 30 days. I'll never forget when I first read that statistic. I couldn't decide whether to laugh or cry. I decided to cry and I left my computer and I just, I went for a short walk to clear my head. I thought, no wonder I get weird looks from Christians when I show them my lottery tickets. I didn't realize it was, it was one of the two essential qualities that define a Christian. But what does it really mean to be different? Not just be weird, but be different. I mean, what's the point? Is it to stay away from the lottery? Is the point of the Psalms to stay away from the lottery and be careful with your middle fingers? Is this why Jesus came and died and gave his life for us? No. Jesus came to turn our lives upside down, beginning with an ending with our hearts. He said, you will be known as my followers by the size of your heart, by the depth of your passion for God, and your capacity to love your neighbor. But I'm telling you, loving like Jesus loved will often lead you to go against the flow. You will be different. The crowd wants you to not only love them, but love what they're doing. But Jesus' love often went against the flow of who and how and what the crowd loved. Speaking to 55,000 students and young adults gathered at the Passion Conference in Atlanta a number of years ago, Beth Moore said, you will watch a generation of Christians set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus, sacrificing truth for love. She said, and stunningly, it will sound completely plausible, and you will rise or fall based upon whether you will have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love, both truth and grace. See, sometimes love, sometimes being different requires a life that moves against the flow of the crowd, like a tree planted by streams of water that, that bears fruit. But that life, oh my goodness, as you, would, as you love against the flow, your life will make a hero's difference in your world. So be different. The call to be different is for me a major theme of the Psalms. But then the Psalms end with Psalm 150. You remember that. We, we just came out of that. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals and praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This amazing call to worship comes at the end of a run of psalms that are often called the Hallel Psalms. A number of them begin and end with that compound word. Remember, hallelujah, hallel, yah, praise, yah, praise the Lord. And, and they're filled with hallel, praise. Psalm 150 ends with, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Or as I suggested, a literal translation might even better be, let every breath praise the Lord. Not, not let everyone who breathes and everything that breathes praise once in a while, but let every breath, moment by moment, let every breath be a moment of worship, and then no breath will be a wasted breath. Let every breath, even the breaths that come in the midst of failure, even the breathing that comes when we aren't so different from the world, every breath, even the breaths that come 
heart and brokenness and sorrow and grief and loss and discouragement. Every breath that David breathed in the cave when he cried out, no one cares and I have no refuge. And every breath that he breathed in those moments of hunger for God, caught up in God's glory, caught up into the heavenlies. Every breath breathed when he was experiencing God as his refuge. Every breath. See, I think the overarching theme, at least that has impacted me this time through the Psalms, is this. Be different, but come as you are. Be different, but come as you are. Be different, but come as you are to worship. Come as you are to worship. Perhaps more than anything, at least this time through, I kept having this sense of God saying, come as you are to worship. Bring the real you. Bring your real self. Bring your broken heart. Bring your failure. Bring your doubts and your questions. Bring your anger. The impeccatory Psalms, those are the ones that call down fire from heaven on the people who brought us pain. Get them, God. Kill them. Those are the ones that were a little bit uncomfortable to read. Psalms filled with anger at people. And some of the Psalms of lament, they have a taste of that anger towards God, anger in the midst of grief. And yet, can't you hear God saying, come as you are? The Psalms not only give us permission, they encourage us. They they almost command us to come to God as we are. I mean, he already knows what's going on in my soul. When I hide it, it just becomes a wall between us. So come as you are. Grateful? Come as you are. Doubtful? Come as you are. Filled with praise, come as you are. Wrestling with God's absence in your life, come as you are. Ready to worship with God's people, come as you are. Too filled with shame to be seen, come as you are. See, the Psalms help us to pray honestly. They they help us pray from a variety of experiences, the good and the hard seasons of life. Getting started in prayer is not so difficult, but sustaining a life of prayer, growing in our communication with God is often surprisingly difficult. Psalms is our guide to a deeper prayer life. I love what Eugene Peterson once wrote about the Psalms. He wrote, the impulse to pray is deep within us at the very center of our created being. And so practically anything will do to get us started. Help and thanks are our basic prayers, he said. But honesty and thoroughness don't come quite as spontaneously. He wrote, faced with the prospect of a conversation with a holy God who speaks worlds into being, it is not surprising that we have trouble. We feel awkward and out of place. I'm not good enough for this. I'll wait till I clean up my act and prove that I'm a decent person. Or we excuse ourselves on the grounds that our vocabulary is inadequate. I don't know how to pray. Give me a few months or a few years to practice prayers that are polished enough for such a a sacred meeting. Then I won't feel so ill at ease and full of stuttering. Eugene Peterson said, my usual response is to put the Psalms in a person's hands and say, go home and pray these. You've got wrong ideas about prayer. The praying you find in these Psalms will dispel the wrong ideas and introduce you to the real thing. Like David writes in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. See, David is taking the masks off, not trying to look like he has it all together. My tears have been my food. People say to me all day long, where is your God? Have you ever had a season of life like that? Maybe you're going through one right now. 
When the people around us get real, it gives me freedom to be real. When you get real, it gives the people around you freedom to be real. Getting real oftentimes is the first step towards a life that thrives, a life that is refreshed. And the Psalms give us permission to be honest and real with God in our prayers and with others in our worship. Our desire at Calvary is to be real. And as you read through the Psalms, realize that a majority of them were meant to be sung or read in public setting. (laughs) In public, no mass, real life, authenticity. Come as you are. Be different, but come as you are. Come as you are. I don't care how you are, come as you are, come as you are to worship like David did. He came in the times of incredible success and he came in the times of deep failure and loneliness. He came in heartbreaking times and grand glory achievement times. When he was walking through broken relationships, feeling betrayed, he came in the darkness and in the light, he came on top of the world, he came and in the deepest pit, he came as he was. Through some of the most difficult circumstances we could ever imagine, through some of the greatest failures we could ever hope to miss, through broken times of conviction so deep he covered himself in ashes, through spiritual times so dark he'd just cry out, hear my cry, O God, from the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So for the end of this wrap-up, We'll do at least one more. Let me just remind you of that picture God gave me from Hebrews 12. I have to believe it was in part at least inspired by the Psalms. It's this picture of a vast worshiping community that is such an important part of our journey. People who are cheering us on. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And read Hebrews 11 if you want some glimpse of those witnesses, that huge crowd. And and so it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Huge crowd. Past, present, even future. Cheering us on from Mount Zion. People who have been there, who know the path, who've experienced the good and the hard, who've come with their real face to God. They're cheering us on. And there's just something that resonates, that refreshes my soul, just knowing we're surrounded by this great crowd of fans, this worshiping community. Over and over again, as I've read through the Psalms this time around, I've thought of a thousand years of worshipers as this book was being written and collected, and then a few thousand years more, this collection of prayers and songs that started in the hearts of individual witnesses to the life of faith. But since those moments, these prayers have been prayed, these songs have been sung by millions of God's followers for thousands of years. And and whenever we read the Psalms, whenever we pray or sing them, we're, we're standing alongside in the midst of that huge crowd. The words we speak have been spoken. The words we pray have been prayed. The words we sing, the songs we sing have been sung by by millions of times in Hebrew and Greek and Latin, Spanish and Norwegian, Chinese, Malay, Estonian, Spanish, Burmese, and Kinyarwanda. I mean, can you picture it? As you pray the Psalms, off to your right stand Moses and Miriam in front of you, David and Solomon kneel down to your left are Jesus and Paul and Mary and John and Peter. Behind you come the voices of Augustine Luther and David Brainerd and Amy Carmichael, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, your grandmother, grandfather, father, mother, (laughs) 
all these people have found the words of the Psalms to be anointed by God to bring refreshment to our souls for the journey of life. And the words themselves, the Psalms, these are the words of witnesses to the life of faith, our fans, our our cheering crowd, our, our worshiping community. And here's what I hear them saying. Be different, but come as you are. Be different, but come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you are and join in the worship. Join in the worship. Come as you are. Be different, but come as you are and join in the worship. Father God, I I pray for each and every person listening to my, my voice, every person who has made it this far through 47 Psalms. God, I pray that you would give them a glimpse of this worshiping community that they're a part of, all these people who came to you as they were, when they were, how they were. They didn't hide their real face from you. They didn't hide their questions. They didn't stuff their doubts. They came with their praise in times of praise, and they came in times when they experienced you as the refuge of their world, and they came in times when they felt like they were all alone and no one cared, including you. And I pray, God, that in our midst, in our families, in in our own personal lives, that we would get real with you, first of all, but that we would also be real with each other, that we would give each other permission to to come to you with our real faces. (laughs) And God, I pray that in the midst of that, that authenticity, in the midst of those moments, that you would meet us. God, we want to come and join the worshiping crowd. (laughs) the worship that is ongoing, already started, never-ending. However we are, however we feel, God, that's what we want. We want to be a part of that worshiping crowd. Call us in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.